This is your home for St. Cloud State Hockey, keeping you up to date on the NCHC. Women's WCHA. Dana Rasmussen fires and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. The National Hockey League. Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Thrill the thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner. And everything from the state of hockey. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title. Welcome to the Huskies Warming House Podcast Den. Welcome into episode number 110 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Myself, Noah Grant, joined by the illustrious, the illuminating Nicholas Maxson. Nick, what? Don't give me that look. Come on. You're you're just practicing your creative writing skills. I get it. It has nothing to do with me. You got light bulbs behind you. How can I not use the word illuminating? And let's be honest, Caleb Peabody has called you on it before. You have your lights on today. So I have a different camera on, which makes them seem brighter than what they usually are. The question is, is Nick Maxson on and brighter than he usually is? We're going to find out here. We got a lot of topics <laughs> to That's discuss. That's a great question. <laughs> to discuss here in the Huskies uh, Warming House podcast. I almost said the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. That's the first thing that comes out in our show. Um, we have a lot of transactional news uh, related to both St. Cloud State and not St. Cloud State. So we'll definitely get into that. Uh, the main portion of the show, we did have a listener mailbag about all things, pretty much NHL hockey, uh, as well as the Minnesota Wild. They're deep into their series with the St. Louis Blues. Game five coming out uh, on the day that this will come out tomorrow. Uh, we're recording tonight on Monday. It comes out tomorrow, Tuesday morning before game five at home at the Excel Energy Center for the Minnesota Wild. And then our extra ice session, we're going to talk St. Cloud State coaching needs, both on the men's side, the women's side, as well as the goaltending position that was rounded out for men's hockey as well. So without further ado, Center Ice View News and Notes and the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. As we get into our Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, uh, again, as you mentioned before, NHL playoffs are well underway. Uh, some teams are not in the playoffs. Some teams are on the golf links, and there are some off-season moves that are happening around the league. Let's first start actually not in the NHL, but let's start back with St. Cloud. So some big coaching news. Uh, St. Yeah. Cloud State assistant Nick Oliver uh, parting ways for the Huskies, actually heading back to his alma mater uh, with the Fargo Force in the USHL. Uh, this time he'll be their new head coach. So Nick Oliver, uh, bright young coach. So last four seasons as an assistant with Brett Larson behind the Huskies bench. Uh, going back to his playing days, 2008 to 2011, was a standout with the Fargo Force. Um Actually, then went on to play for the Huskies, was a pivotal player to help uh, the St. Cloud to get to their first ever Frozen Four in 2013. Uh, it seems to be the city of Pittsburgh 
has magic for St. Cloud because that <laughs> was also in Pennsylvania, right? So, um, and then was an assistant for Sioux Falls in the USHL from 2015 to 2018 before joining St. Cloud behind the bench again as an assistant, as you mentioned before, to Brett Larson. Uh, this season for Fargo, a, a bit of a downswing 28, mm-hmm. 28 and six, uh, fifth in the Western Conference this season. So, about 500, uh, but uh, not enough for uh, Fargo to uh, keep their now former head coach, Nick Oliver, comes in as fresh blood. I think he will do some good things there um, up in the USA. Such a wheelist. Uh, obviously, wish him all the best of luck. So I think he's going to do some yeah. good things up there in Fargo. Yeah, I'm curious to see. Um, speaking of Fargo, by the way, so they had, I forget who their longtime head coach was, but he left. And then their new coach was only there for a single year and it just didn't pan out, I think, for, for no. a variety of reasons. But I'm curious to see. And this is uh, this is not a knock on Nick by any means. Um, Nick Oliver, I think, you know, does a really good job of kind of being a player's coach and bridging that gap. But I know that when we talk to him, you know, he's a very dialed in man. He's very serious. And I'm curious to see if his head coaching uh, soiree, this is his first kick at the can at being, you know, at the head of a hockey team to see if he can take that, uh, you know, intellectual prowess that he has and turn it into getting, you know, a group of 20, 25, 30 players to buy into that system. I'm curious to see how he bridges that gap, how he utilizes his assistant coaches and kind of, kind of brings that because like you mentioned, his wealth of hockey knowledge is extensive. Yes. The dedication and time that he puts in, his ability, you know, in scouting at that level and knowing what he's looking for to help guys transition to the next level and guys coming into that USHL level now. Um, of course, prior experience in Sioux Falls, he was actually the director of scouting too, uh, as well in that role, in addition to being an assistant coach. So he brings a lot of skills and tool sets in that toolbox. I'm curious to see if now he can articulate that as a head coach because as we've seen with another person who's going to be in this group Mike Yo and the Flyers uh sometimes people can't bridge that gap I'm not saying Nick Oliver can or can't I don't know either we way we don't know yet right we're gonna find out and I'm really excited for me too uh did a couple uh you know hockey and show sessions uh at, you know for my time in St. Cloud and uh breaking down film with him you, you can tell he's a very attentive to detail kind of coach uh definitely knows the game in and out both offensively and defensively um and as you mentioned though the role of the head coach is you know how can you get you know your group of players to play the way that you want to play uh, to be able to connect with them not only as athletes but as people um, you know, to be able to be approachable yet also be able to put the foot down and hold people accountable. It's a very fine line to walk him. You know, I, I think from some advice I've had from other head coaches, sometimes it's not a linear path. Sometimes yeah. you have to kind of go up and down on the line, depending on the day. Um, I think he can do it. And obviously this will be his first big test of that. Um, so again, we'll have to see how he does. I do think he's got a great future ahead of us and we do wish him. So you mentioned the best of luck. You know, I just wanted to add one more quick thing to what a guy to learn from and Brett Larson, by the way, too. Yes. You know, a great yep. articulator, someone who learned from Scott Sandlin. I mean, the hockey yes. world keeps on giving if you're willing to sit there and listen. So, um, yes. you know, a lot of bright minds here and excited for Nick. Unfortunately, the worst part of this whole story is the St. Cloud Huskies lose a very prominent and very effective uh, assistant coach. Yes. Um, although doing St. Cloud and their ties to Fargo, maybe that strengthens that up a little bit because yeah. a lot of their recruits, uh, seriously, Evan Bushy too, uh, mm-hmm. uh, slated to come in sometime either this year or next year. I don't know for sure, but another Fargo force, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. products, uh, most recently Jack Peart was, uh, there yeah. for a stint. A lot uh, of, a lot of the new guys too, that had just came in through the USHL draft moments ago, actually, you know, are coming in under Nick Oliver too. So, uh, like yes. you mentioned that pipeline might be strengthened and it's about the only good thing 
thing for St. Cloud to come out of North Dakota, let's be honest. Besides That's myself, true. of right. course, right? Like, Well, we'll uh, go with that, sure. Uh, okay, <laughs> debatable. Uh, what, what is what is kind of debatable, though, Noah, is maybe some decisions happening in out east. Yeah. Uh, the New York Islanders uh, parted ways with head coach Barry Trotz after four seasons. Uh, he won a Jack Adams Award as their head coach, two conference final um, losses to uh, the, the, the eventual Stanley Cup uh, winning Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, 13 game road swing to start the season because, again, UBS Arena, their new barn out there, uh, very close to LaGuardia Airport and right next to uh, the tennis courts out there for the U.S. Open. Um, that was a tough stretch. And then when they did get back home, never really found their footing. Uh, it was just yeah. not a great start to the season. Um, 50 games in 99 days. So, I mean, just that's a lot of hockey. Um, just not a great way you know but at the end of the day no you don't you don't control the scheduling but you do can control how you respond to that right yeah um so i uh, also won a cup in washington before he took that job in 2018 where i think a couple surprising moves i think a lot of folks were surprised that washington didn't re-up him for at least another year yeah. um, new york was happy to swing in and and get him um again had some success this year just didn't pan out and uh Ula Morello, um, um, one where you're left on his deal as GM, uh, probably looking to uh, make sure that maybe his job is safe as they move forward. Um, mm-hmm. In total, Barry Trotz goes 152, 102, and 34, which is a 587 winning percentage in this time in the, uh, behind the Islanders bench. Um, first season that he missed the playoffs um, uh, with him behind the bench. So that, unfortunately... And we're, we're seeing that with other teams that, unfortunately, success sometimes breeds uh, whether you have a job or not. And the NHL is very cutthroat, and it's unfortunate for Trots. But there will be some other yeah. teams lined up for services. He will not be employed for long. Yeah, you know, it's unemployed a, for long. I definitely screwed that up. Yeah, well, it's 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 a curious. Well, the Islanders screwed this one up too. This is a very yeah. it's a very curious thing to me. And I know that uh, it, if you read Lou Lamorello's kind of things uh, and his quotes, they were kind of odd about you know they were kind of keeping things close to the vest. I don't take a whole lot of stock into some of them where he talked about how he hadn't consulted the players, which they just had their player meetings last week. So I'm going to assume sure. that, that had some piece. Um, he was very adamant in talking about how this season's performance in and of itself was not the sole reason that uh trots was uh given away essentially um but his pedigree and even his time with the islanders still kind of speaks to success i mean it was a resounding success in the way that he played one of the things that and this comes from an article in the athletic that they had talked about is that they maybe believe that his style of play is a difficult thing to uphold through an 82 game season it looks better in the shorter spans you have a COVID year you have a playoff bubble you have these stints where that defensive shutdown game playing these two to one contests, it looks good, but that attention to detail, that defensive juggernaut, uh, Minnesota wild fans know it all too well. It's a difficult way to play year in and year out and try to find long-term success. So I, I don't, I don't know that there's a ton of bearing on that being the other sole reason that you would let a coach like this go. Could you say the locker room needed a new voice? Maybe, maybe not, but Barry Trotz and his resounding success as a as a head coach is, I think, laid out right in front of you. I mean, it's not like Mike Yo, who has had a track history of not being successful in previous tenures in the National Hockey League, right? And to, you know, to your point about playing style too, it could be where, you know, the league is transitioning to more offense, right? And, you yeah. know, with, you know, maybe a defensive first style. I mean, the Minnesota Wild had been, well, for lack thereof almost a decade plus have been trying to find a way to get out of that style right because they understood that this was not something that the way the league was trending was going to a get them to a successful regular season but also maybe be competitive and not only just the first round but multiple rounds in the Stanley cup playoffs and so you know is it maybe uh 
a knee jerk moment, maybe for the editors, maybe, um, you know, obviously every coach has their style and the way they want to play. And, you know, uh, to me, I, I look at it as I think Lou Lamorello is trying to secure his retirement more than anything. Um, just because again, he's got one year left on his deal. Um, see what you want about Barry Trotz. He, like you said, he has a track record of success. He is a Stanley cup winner very recently with Washington. Um, you know, so, Obviously, there's probably more behind the scenes that we don't know. Um, and as uh, you talk about a quote in The Athletic, it was uh, uh, Rangers head coach Gerard Gallant that said, you know, I've been there. You know, I've been there recently. And knowing him and knowing how his pedigree is, there'll be plenty of people lining up yeah. for his services. And one of them could be Detroit. Uh, just throwing one out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. You know, again, you know, this was actually it was actually a listener question, uh, kind of a three parter. The other thing I wanted to throw out too is they did say his his leash with veterans like Zeno Chara, Zach Parisi, those guys was a little bit too long sometimes in terms of giving them a little bit more runway than maybe they should have had in certain situations. I don't know. Um, but the three part question essentially, we kind of just answered this. Why did they give Barry Trotz the axe? Uh, but the second question that you kind of alluded to, which team do you think, you know, could use Barry Trotz next? And how long do you think he'll stay without a job? I don't think he makes it through halfway through the summer without being on with being unemployed. I mean, I think he gets scooped up pretty quickly. I like the Detroit route. Um, you know, is, is there another fit for a team that, that feels that they maybe want to kind of get rid of a body as the Philadelphia Flyers, another really good fit, you know, Could they're, yeah. they're without Mike Yo now, um, which we'll touch on in a moment. Um, you know, is there any other team that you think maybe kind of stands out to you? It's hard to say because again, you know, there, there is a little bit of something with the style that he wants to play. I think there is a little bit of that too. Now I don't think it's, you know, I would say like the majority of the reason why, yeah. um, but I guess we'll see. Right. Cause you know, do you have, you know, for example, in Philadelphia, what you had uh, Elaine Vigneault, who was a very experienced coach himself. And then Mike, yo, who, We'll touch on it a little bit, yeah, right? Not um, good. <laughs> not great. Um, but at the end of it, too, you know, do you want that veteran? Do you want a veteran coach? Or do you want someone that's new and maybe has a little bit younger blood that maybe can connect? Because I know Philadelphia yeah. is going through quite a transition themselves, right? Uh, Detroit, I think, is probably a better landing spot because you got a mix of veterans and you got some younger uh, guys coming up. And one of the biggest reasons Detroit, I think, maybe held themselves back was maybe defensive structure, honestly. Yeah, seriously. Um, you know, they've, they've got some good offense. I mean, holy cow, speaking of back end, how about Maurice Sider, holy cow, is he really, really good? A Lucas Raymond, also a good young star for Detroit. So maybe you put some veteran coaching there. I think there could be a good fit there. Uh, we'll have to see how um, Detroit's management up approaches that. But yeah, feel for me. Yeah, feel free to jump. Uh, I know we have Otto in here. Feel free to jump to uh, Mike Yo. We've been alluding to him, so you might as well jump to that one. First. We'll just we'll just jump to him right now because uh, surprisingly, Chuck Fletcher parts with a core piece. Yes, I know. Uh, <laughs> and this this uh, and I, I laugh at that because seriously, he never did that in Minnesota. Um, you know, it was just something he never did. I'm actually still surprised that Chuck Fletcher's still behind seriously. as a GM too, honestly. <laughs> so uh, some surprising, also not so much surprising. So Mike Yo was. Again, the interim head coach right after he, uh, he came in relief of Le Mignol, 17, 36, and 7. Um, it is interesting. Uh, I'm not a math guy, but that's not great. Um, sixth head coach in team history since 2010. Um, if that doesn't give you an idea of some of the struggles the Flyers have had in recent times, and mind you, 2010 was probably the pinnacle of their success when they yeah. were in the same like a final against Chicago, right? Um, that was a heck of a hockey team. Uh, Flyers are now uh, the number four team in Philadelphia. Do you want to count for all Philly uh, Philly fans? Um, average attendance barely eclipsing 10,000 a game. And, and for those who know Philadelphia, and yeah, they're crazy events, but that's a sports thirsty market. 
this move, unfortunately, nice. makes total sense. Um, and I would imagine, too, for if I'm ownership, if it's Fletcher that's probably having that conversation, he goes, either you get rid of the O or you're going with them. That kind of Seriously. thing, right? So um, there is a very big decision because I don't think Chuck Fletcher's job is as nearly as safe either. I think he's on a short leash as well. And if this next season doesn't show any sort of improvement, I think he he's out even before the end of next season, depending on what happens. So um, let's go back a little bit uh, because another personality that we all were shocked when he originally got the job is uh, it's not surprisingly out of a job here mcguire um <laughs> ottawa senators uh, firing him after only 10 months of the job as vice president of hockey development let me say this i have nothing against pierre mcguire actually think he articulates some stuff pretty well um he's got an energy to a lot of sportscasters don't bring however um there was always at least in my mind uh what do you call it sort of the 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 excitement sometimes and then clouded the judgment and i'm not sure mm-hmm. if that's accurate. Um, Ottawa obviously felt that they needed a new voice in that role. So Pierre no longer with the Ottawa senators organization. Uh, this was shortly after, I mean, it was a three-year contract that he signed, um, was an assistant coach with Pittsburgh in 92 when they won their Stanley cup. Um, I think, wasn't he a GM at one point with Hartford? Um, yes, he's been in some weird spots. You know, he's, let's just say he's a weird guy and he's been in a weird couple of weird spots. And I think that his broadcasting role soured as I think time went on with him with some he of the disconnected from the game, right? There's, there's one thing yeah. where when you're out of the role uh, that close to hockey, right? Especially when you're in an analyst role, uh, a meaningful development role, right? The game changes, right? And if you're not connected to the game very closely, you do get disconnected. That's the unfortunate nature of the beast. That is professional sports. That's not just hockey. Um, you know, so, again. So, so this was actually another one of our listener questions, you know, is 10 months enough? So let's go back to Pierre McGuire. Cause I think this, I think the signing surprised people a little bit too. And I think I want to go back to, uh, you want to talk about Pierre McGuire and his broadcast. He, did know the book on almost every junior player that was coming up so i think that there, there was he a did, real, yes there was a real big piece to seeing you know who are guys you know he wasn't really a scout but player development seeing guys and how they might be in that spot um maybe scouting was maybe more something that might have been a better fit for him too but the i question- disagree and and here's why i say that because you have an are an analyst and some of the stuff that he went out right and he did his research right yeah. now it's one thing to do research and to can convey that on air. It's another thing to take that information and to make sound judgments onto what's best for a player's continued development to get to the next level, whether it's juniors to minors or minors to pro those decisions that he has affects a young player's career from a very young age. And there could be where you make the wrong move and a player's career is very much altered. Right? So whatever he was doing, obviously drew the attention of upper management that said, I'm not sure this person, whether it's decision-making or whether it's, uh, you know, whether it is the scouting reports or, you know, whatever your case may be, whatever he was in charge of with that information wasn't conveying the results they were liking. Yeah. So, so, so let's talk about a good comparison here. Paul Fenton, one year for the Minnesota wild. It's 10 months enough to evaluate something like this. It can be because for Paul Fenton, it was never about, the direction because I was at the press conference when I was an intern at Fox nine and we asked uh, owner Craig Leopold this question, was it the direction or these draft or anything to do with the direction of the organization led to this? And the answer was a flat. No, it yeah. was his communication style. It was his, his management style. Yes. Uh, he was kind of known to be just my way of the highway kind of guy. And it, 
that just doesn't work in pro sports. It just doesn't at that level. So I don't know if it's a, a fair comparison Noah, for that men's just because you're taught you're, you're comparing apples and oranges, but to the point of the question, is it enough time depending on what's happening? It can be. Yeah. And you, you almost have to credit an owner like Craig Leopold that if you have enough information and it's only been 10 months to a sort of pseudo admit you made a mistake. And he admitted that also in that press conference, it's a tough pill to swallow, but he also did mention I'd rather admit it, own up to it, and make a correct change. And because he did that, he landed Bill Guerin and looked what's happened since then. So sometimes owning up to it and at least getting rid of what's maybe holding you back is the best thing And for the Minnesota Wilds prospects. I think they're sitting okay with that decision. Yeah, definitely getting rid of things that are holding you back. So that will be the last time we will hear from Nick Maxson here on the Huskies. Correct, yes. Podcast. yes. No, yes. Uh, just kidding. Nick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your last point here because uh, we are going to roll through here uh, very quickly and get onto the main portion of the show. But, yes, great discussions. We're, we are cruising here so far on the Huskies Warming House podcast, so I can't wait to see where we fall off a cliff and crash and burn. But things that pretty close didn't crash and burn for this man, I thought that they might, uh, considering that he was involved in the Kyle Beach scandal back in 2010 as part of that front management office here. But Winnipeg Jets... Uh, General Manager Kevin Jeveldayoff, uh, three-year pack through 2025, taking over back in 2011, four Stanley Cup final or playoff appearances, excuse me, and one conference final location to, uh, uh, spot to boot uh, since that relocation from Atlanta. Uh, he was kind of a guy that I thought maybe was on his way out. I feel like he's kind of been up and down in his decision-making as of lately. Uh, quickly, your thoughts. Do you think that this is the right move for the peg? I, I think it's a show me contract, honestly, um, for three years. Shevel Day Off, as you mentioned, been there now for 11 years since they moved from Atlanta. Um, you you kind of wonder what Paul Maurice's influence was with Shevel Day Off. Um, yeah. uh, it does speak wonders to Paul Maurice and his decision to just up in the middle of the season to drop what he's doing. So does that maybe signal us more behind the scenes that we're aware of? It might. We don't know that for sure. Uh, but anytime you extend a GM especially after a couple of missed playoff opportunities. A lot of the core hasn't really changed. I do get the sense that there's going to have to be some significant changes to this roster um, to get them over the hump. Now, could you say that they've had some injury problems? Obviously, the Dustin Bufflin situation uh, was unforeseen and really not much you can do about that. So they've had some tough things to deal with. Uh, yeah. But nonetheless, they're going to have to start showing some improvement and I mean, geez, Winnipeg earlier this season, I thought was looking pretty good yeah. and injuries killed him. So we'll see um, more see. needs to happen, but I think he's, he's in the right spot, but improvements have to be made or else he might be out. Also maybe a potential landing spot for a guy like maybe Barry Trotz. Who knows? Um, you know, the, the thing that's interesting with Winnipeg, um, they're, their press conference at the end was kind of weird. Uh, Paul Stastny obviously is potentially on his way out as a free agent, but comments from Captain Mark Shifley talking, like he made a comment, something along the lines of, I don't know if I'm going to be here next year, that sort of thing. He's got two years left on his contract. So you kind of wonder what's going on in that locker room if there are things behind closed doors that maybe kind of need some tweaking. And, that's... and it, and it kind of comes to the point, right? I think, you know, when you extend shovel off in a GM and you know there's pressure from not only, obviously, as competitors, whether you're on the ice or off, right? We, everybody wants to win. Um, I think there's some ownership pressure now, too, that, hey, yeah. guys, like, and I think there was maybe a warning, you know, in those post, you know, actually, you know, postseason, maybe those interviews, you know, exit interviews, as they call them. Right. Whereas you're taking the temperature of the room, but then you're also probably saying, hey, guys, if I'm going to keep you around, um, we need to start showing success or guess what? I might be forced to move everybody. So maybe it's a, a signal of that where that was part of the conversation in the exit interviews. I think 
that's possible. Do we know yeah. for sure? No, but again, I think as I alluded to, there's going to have to be some improvements for Winnipeg uh, or else you might see some core changes and maybe a possible rebuild. Who knows? Yeah. Mark Shifley, curious case, great offensive player, kind of a defensive liability for a guy who's a top six centerman in the national hockey league, but it could be worse. Nick could be Rocky words. Anyway, move <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, uh, more St. Cloud State hockey news. This one a little bit sadder here. Former St. Cloud State hockey coach uh, Charlie Bash, winning 181 games with the St. Cloud State Huskies, passed away on May 4th at the age of 96. So curious story for him, uh, and I love to get uh, Bill Prout's thoughts from Center Ice View at some of these things too. I know that he's met with some people that probably knew, knew him a little bit better than we did, obviously. Initially hired actually as the football coach in St. Cloud back in 1968. Uh, added responsibilities of hockey head coach and actually taught classes with his biology degree. So kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of guy. Um, head coach for 16 seasons from 1968 until 1984, ranking third all-time among St. Cloud State Husky head coaches with those 181 victories. So our uh, condolences to the Bash family, and you will definitely be remembered as one of the iconic guys that essentially um, – turned St. Cloud State Hockey into what it is today. He was at the forefront of that transition back, you know, in the 70s and 80s and preparing them for that Division One level. I think that success at the D2 and D3 level um, doesn't come without a guy like him. And real quick comments, you know, kind of an interesting almost mirrored story. How about John Gagliardi at St. John's was actually a hockey coach yeah. first before taking over the football program. And I think history kind of wrote itself from that. So it's, it's interesting when you, the, the coaching is a translatable skill, right? Doesn't yeah. matter which, you know, sport you're teaching. If you can coach. And as you, we talked about earlier, you can get players to do what you want and be respectable. Mm -hmm. You can be successful anywhere. So another still comparison again, John Gagliardi, who had a hell of a career at St. John's as well. Take notes, Nick Oliver. Take notes. Just kidding. Uh, another uh, comment here before we get to the injury news around the playoff series is in the National Hockey League. Another injury, Joe Foley, the off-ice official, uh, hit by a pane of glass in Boston on Friday night during Game 3. Uh, essentially, I uh, kind of got rocked free after the Bruins went up 3-1 to one in that game against Carolina. It fell on top of him. Uh, he ended up uh, being stretched off and heading to the hospital. He was released from the hospital that same night on Friday. Um, they do expect him to hopefully return in the final two to three games in that series. That series is knotted up at two games apiece at the time of recording between the Bruins and Carolina. So wishing Joe Foley the best. Hopefully we see him back in the penalty box without panes of glass coming down on top of him. Uh, obviously, obviously those are people that uh, go very uh, unheralded and unsung sometimes for their roles uh, to make hockey games what we know them on TV around the National Hockey League. Injury news, wrapping up uh, the Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup. Let's go kind of series by series, so to speak. Let's start Pittsburgh, New York Rangers. Netminder Casey DeSmith for the Pens, of course, out for the year with core muscle surgery. Second time in two years for core muscle surgery, too. Yeah, leaving, Interesting. leaving in the second overtime in game one. And uh, it's been Louis Domingue, the third string journeyman, who essentially has taken over the mantle and has looked pretty good so far in this series mm -hmm. against the Rangers. Uh, Ricard Raquel did practice with the team today on Monday. He will be out. Out for game number four, as far as we know, for the Penguins, um, but he is on the ice, so that's good after he went down in game one, as well as Brian Dumoulin, who is out for the Penguins as well. The Rangers missing for Barclay Goodrow, who is on a week-to-week -week basis right now, and then Tyler Mott, Tyler Mott was also hurt uh, early on in this series as well. Colorado, the Avalanche, without netminder Darcy Kemper for game four after that freak that was eye nuts. injury. That yeah. was nuts. 
Um, and I and I wonder this if you're Colorado, you know that you probably have the series in the bag unless something insane happens for Nashville. Maybe it's just as you know, he's got swelling around that eye from a stick going through the cat eyes of the goalie mask. Maybe you rest him, see if you can snap game four, and then just see if you can just kind of rest the boys and you know get him back up to speed and up to health here. You know, because I think that I think the Avs with or without Darcy Kemper are in a very good spot in this Nashville series, especially Nashville missing Andrew Cogliano and Ryan Murray, and then Mark Borvietsky. Oh, excuse me, um, Colorado. Colorado is missing Andrew Cogliano and Ryan Murray, but Mark Borvietsky of the Predators has missed some time as well as a uh, UC Saro shop walk, I think, right? From Borvietsky. Yeah. yeah. I remember and, seeing that. And Connor Ingram has kind of carried the mantle in the, in lieu of UC Saros. And he's looked all right, actually. He's looked good. He's so, looked good. And game was a game two, two I think yeah. if it wasn't for Connor Ingram, that could have been an eight to nothing game. Easily. Yeah. And unfortunately that's been the only game that has been tight for the Preds. We'll have to see how they can respond here soon. Uh, St. Louis, Minnesota wild St. Louis decimated with injuries on the back end. Let's just put yeah. it that way. Tory Krug, Nick Letty. I think Nick Letty got hurt from that hit from Matt Boldy where he went easily. Awkwardly. 100%. Yeah. So uh, Marco Scandella out again after returning in game three and then Robert Bertuzzo, who I don't mind seeing out of the lineup at all. I, I think he's kind of a plug. I'm going to say that on this podcast right now. I've never been a fan of Robert Bertuzzo's game. That's my personal opinion. Um, but anyway, that's all I got on that one. I just, I really hate Robert Bertuzzo. I'm sure he's a nice guy, but just he, he's uh he's a hit first guy. He, he definitely just is like a, Matt Dumba, except Bertuzzo actually, you know, makes contact. Yeah, that, that, that works. Yeah. Yikes. Oh, uh, spe- speaking of a guy that makes contact legally or illegally Washington capitals without Tom Wilson for at least a little bit here. Um, and Carl Hagelin sustaining an eye injury about a week and a half ago, uh, Florida in that matchup, missing defenseman Marcus Nudavara, uh, in Boston, Carolina, Boston, missing both Hampus Lindholm and Charlie McAvoy as of right Oof. now. So, uh, missing that first pairing press, Plus Jesper Froden in their series against uh, the Canes, who are still without key netminders, obviously, as well as forward Jordan Martinuk and defenseman Jake Gardner. You need so. to call up David Ayers. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. yeah. And Jake Gardner, uh, we'll have to see if he stops throwing up pizzas uh, in his return to form here. Yeah. For Carolina. He's never going to live that down in Toronto. No. It's no, just tough. Won't. So uh, final a couple of series is here. Dallas and Calgary haven't seen anything crazy in terms of the injury bug as of yet. And Los Angeles and Edmonton won each side. Victor Arvison for the Kings and Edmonton right now without Derek Ryan. Welcome into episode number 110 here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Nick, uh, we got a lot to pack into this show. I think uh, I'm going to start. I'm just going to start the show. Uh, normally, I ask you how you're doing, but I'm going to start it with my own story, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, hockey uh, is a fun game uh, until it? until it, well, most of the time until you get like us where you start getting older and out of shape by the second. But beyond that. When equipment malfunctions, sometimes it can be hilarious and sometimes it can be really freaky. I had to get a new pair of skates the other night. Uh, Kind of interesting. Uh, So for those who don't know, if you ever take a look at the bottom of a hockey skate, they are actually what's called the toque. That's the white part that essentially uh, is clamped onto the... For those playing the home game, it holds the blade. Let's yeah. keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, but but on but on the other side, it is actually riveted into the bottom of the skate, and there is a footbed in between there, kind of a plate that is in between, sandwiched in between, and those pieces essentially keep the skate together. Well, I was transitioning backwards, uh, and the entire side of my toque and all the rivets ripped out, and it, the toque actually ripped out, and the bottom of the skate ripped out. Uh, and I fell backwards so hard that I actually bruised and strained both of the front muscles in my neck. 
Uh, so I had to get a new pair of wheels and that was a very interesting soiree. I have never had that happen before and I obviously wasn't expecting it, but I mean, have you ever had any sort of equipment malfunction like that, Nick, where you've had a literal piece of equipment shed on you? I mean, I've seen guys block shots and have seen like a knee pad, like crack open or something crazy like that. But I mean, it was like, I felt that happened, but you could call it yeah. a, a case of, of self self terrorism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I mean, like I fell and you know, part of my French, but I was like, Holy shit. Like I haven't caught an edge like that in a long time. Like that was weird. And then I stood up and the entire thing went sideways and I'm like, Oh, well that would be why. I don't totally suck, just mostly. Yeah, not not so much uh, as far as like equipment failing, like in that regard. But a uh, couple of things of note that I would remember: I was playing uh, in a game, and you know, you're wearing your elbow guards, right? Yeah. And I was taking a shot, and I released the one timer, and I got hit just after I uh, I took the shot. And I don't know how it happened, but I think maybe my arm got kind of nestled into my my torso and it kind of shifted the elbow pad up so my elbow hit first now it felt like i just bruised it kind of thing excuse me but then i got back to locker (coughs) excuse me (coughs) post game no (laughs) i can tell it's a very detrimental story as you can tell Uh, (laughs) it actually damages his lungs so severely i know crazy uh but i get back (laughs) i'm taking off my gear and i take off the elbow pad and it looks like there's just a bunch of skin hanging out i i blew up my bursa sack Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was it was ugly. Um so and then the other one you, more you were you were the elbow. I'm not sure. So <laughs> uh the other one was uh definitely my fault. Uh it was supposed to be covering the defenseman that go D to D. I was uh... late to get up to him and stuck out the stick for a block and put it right to my face. So yeah. Oh. I actually, was, I still blame the equipment, but you know, oh, I, I should have had a different, uh, should have had the Sackett curve instead of the uh, Crosby curve. We'll put it that way. Speaking of uh, sack X, um, I definitely got hit in the nads the other day too. I deflected a puck into myself the other day too. Not good. Not a good weekend for the kid for sure. Um, you know, kind of interesting the way that those work. Uh, I do remember my senior year at West region. I did, which is tournament time. It's essentially the, um, whatever you would call the qualifier for the state tournament in North Dakota hockey. Um, and, I blocked in Minnesota. Shot. They call that sections. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, speaking of sections, sections of my leg were not doing so hot. So I blocked a shot with my ankle, you know, first Ouch. one right in front of the D man and you know, didn't feel that great. So I blocked it. Pocket shouldn't have going right back to the D man. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of down and out at this point where in the first one, well, he gets the bright idea. I'm just going to tee it up again. Boom. Same shot, same location. Oh, in the leg. I'm like, you gotta be joking me. And luckily oh, it was man. one of those where I was about probably seven or eight feet from the bench. So I'm just crawling into the bench. Well, turned out from pretty much right below my knee, all the way down to my toes was just purple because of all the swelling that was going oh, on in there. And I had, not, I had to ice my foot for about an hour and a half before the next game, just to get my skate back in, you know, back or my foot back into the skate. So, you know, hockey injuries are kind of a wild one. Both my teeth are fake. Just like my personality got those knocked out playing hockey obviously broke my nose once getting hit by my own teammate so you know hockey is a dangerous game i think uh to say the least nick um yeah but not but nonetheless uh speaking of things that we did that are dangerous we did do a fan mailbag nick that is dangerous uh, yes very dangerous and even more scary we had some people actually respond to us um nick i'll give you i'll give you one hint and one hint only um we're going to skate to one song and one song only to figure out who might have had this particular tweet. Um, number one, why has the puck scribe been avoiding me? Hmm. 
when will Alex Micheletti admit that starting Fleury was the right call for the Minnesota Wild? We'll touch on that. In I don't a have moment. a buzzer, but can I buzz? You can. Yeah, go ahead. Is it Caleb? No way. How did you get no, that? No. Incredible. Because um, apparently, apparently he needs attention from me. <laughs> I mean, so do I. Um, he does think that I'm very lovely, though. Uh, someone has to tell him that he's probably off base on that one. Uh, when will Go Huskies Wu and I be considered for St. Cloud State coaching operations? Uh, Caleb behind the bench, I think, would be a good motivator for the boys. Definitely upbeat uh, and positive. I don't know how much. Could you imagine system. him trying to reprimand some players on oh. the bench? I'm not <laughs> sure. I don't know. If you don't chip this puck out the way you're supposed to, Nick and I will not take you to Val's after the game. That's, you know, it, just saying. No, I'll just show him a picture of uh, getting dunked on with a Fisher Price and say, this will be, this is what's happening with you on the ice. Stop it. One thing's one thing's for sure. The lighting in the locker room will be primo grade A. I know it that probably much. Would be, yes. um, and everyone's glasses would be on. And what time is WX underscore Dave's bedtime? I hear it's pretty early from what he goes. I think it's about 9, 930 from what I've been told. So I think that's my guest. Um, Nick's been avoiding you because Nick's been doing his thing. Uh, the flurry situation we're definitely going to discuss in just a few moments. Let me see if there's anything that's non um yeah, pretty much everything else is Minnesota Wild related. So let's talk about the questions related to the Wild, and we'll jump into the series against the St. Louis Blues, which is 2-2 two to two at the time of recording on the eve of game number five. So uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, from my personal opinion, I don't know that he was the choice to start game one, to be honest. I don't think he looked that great in game one, but I think since then he has done his job. He makes me a little nervous because he is an all-or-nothing, a little bit old-school goalie. He is swimming sometimes in the crease. I wouldn't mind seeing Cam Talbot if Minnesota happens to drop game number five. I think Cam Talbot has earned a start just by the way he's played. He hasn't played in a week and a half, too, which kind of makes me a little bit also worried. nervous, right? Yeah, seriously. Um, I thought he was going to get a shot in game two. Mark Andre Fleury, to his credit, played lights out in that contest. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more of Cam Talbot, but I think if you're Dean Everson, you've made the choice and you've stuck with it. You got to commend him for that, uh, in my opinion. You know, I think we mentioned this before the start of the playoffs. I was curious because it was, I think Michael Russo was on it too, that it would already been kind of settled that Mark Andre Fleury would be the playoff starter. And with Mark Andre Fleury and any successful goaltender, you want reps, you want consistency, right? And yeah. with the wild going back and forth between Fleury and Talbot through the end of the season, and, you know, was it maybe an injury prevention thing or whatnot? I don't know. Um, but I was a little bit, put off by the fact that if you were going to start Fleury, why didn't you get him some more reps, you know, in a row to get him up to that? Um, yeah. Game one, you could see was, there was some rust there, maybe some nerves attended to, but I think as far as what you traded for, uh, you're getting exactly what you were hoping for, right? A guy that, um, you know, is energetic, a guy that's a great in the locker room. He's provided some really big saves uh, in times of need. Um, and I do think uh, sometimes the Minnesota Wild defense have been bailed out by him, um, you know, a couple of times. Now he can't obviously do everything. Uh, yes. When you can't lay a hit, Matt Dumba, come on. Yeah, uh, anyway, seriously. so, but at, at, for, for young players, play the puck with your stick first, please. Or, as you mentioned, if you're going to play the body, got to make play it happen. The body, you got to get it. You know, you as you mentioned, you got to get one or the other. You can't leave with nothing. If you leave with nothing, you have not just, done your job. Just so, ask, just ask yeah. the Mavericks a couple weeks ago, right? Um, and, and we talked about you know 
let's build on that a little bit. You know, you, you at the very least disrupt the play even for yeah. a half second, right? Uh, even if he's got to go back and regain the puck, that half second could be enough time uh, for your partner, your Brodine or another four to come back and maybe tie the puck a little bit more. That puck never ends up in the net. So um, either you know, way, I think you, you've gotten what you've wanted out of Fleury. Um, I think that Minnesota Wild, again, we talked about at times, have been a bit porous defensively, and I don't mm-hmm. think it would have mattered whether it's Fleury or Talbot uh, that was in the net that – I don't know if you really could have swayed the pendulum any differently. So I'm happy with it. Um, big pivotal game five coming yes. up at home. But um, the good news is the wild are virtually unbeatable at home, even though they lost game one. Um, I think, uh, I think they'll be all right. Um, so I- I'm it's confident. Been a, it's been a, weird, been, been a weird series. Uh, you know, the, the goal margin, the smallest goal margin was last game, three goals. All the other ones have been four. So it's kind of been odd. And a couple of those empty netters. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but speaking of uh, disruptors, as you kind of mentioned, kind of a two-parter here before we get to the big guns here. Uh, so I'm going to combine two questions. One of them was, should the Minnesota Wild be using their fourth line more? And number two, how do they involve Tyson Jost in the game plan a little bit more? Uh, Dean Everson seems, seems very hesitant to try different things in game. He's been playing very well in a limited role. I understand there's been a number of penalties, but it'd be nice to get some more five-on-five looks. So well, this you is, can if you're taking penalties. Right. Uh, kind of kind of, a, kind of a difficult uh set of questions here i think number one um i'm 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 in the regard that i think that i would like to see the fourth line a little bit more um just in general in the sense that i I know the game flow has kind of been disrupted and the one thing that really affects this um and it actually kind of goes back to my dad and i were talking about this for the golden gophers back in the ncaa is how how their depth really has hadn't been a factor for them because you have three tv timeouts in a period anytime it seems like the fourth line could capitalize with their depth you get a tv tv timeout in there where they don't get to exercise that i think that happens at the nhl level penalties disrupt that i think the fourth line i you know I mean, what did they play? They played for what five and a half, maybe six minutes in the last game. Correct. I mean, they didn't play a whole lot. So I think a little bit more is slightly warranted, but I also understand you go with the big guns and know, know what you trust. As far as Tyson Yost, um, I mean, I think he's played well. I mean, he definitely hasn't produced by any means, uh, you know, just in that role, but I, I, I don't know that Tyson Jost is a guy that you look at him and you say, you know, there's a guy that we need to seriously be giving him more minutes because the question is at the expense of what, at the expense of who, Correct. you know, uh, I'll start with the point one. Right. And that is so in general, right. You, you need more from your fourth line, I think is how I would phrase it. Right. Yes. Um, your fourth line has not really been playing like a fourth line. In fact, uh, I would argue the grief line has been more of a fourth line that can score because um, yeah. they can forecheck, they can hold possession. They can really grind and tear down the opposing D and the opposing forces, hire them out. Right. That's what your fourth line is supposed to be. Jo- Tyson Joseph is the biggest kid. Neither is Brandon Duhame, even though he's got wheels. And I love that about him. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if we see Nick Bukestad come in for game five um, just to try to get a little bit more size and maybe a little bit more puck control into that fourth line. Because when I've watched the fourth line last couple of games, they have not held any sort of possession in the offensive zone. That's what your job is. You know what the problem is, too? And I understand why he's in the lineup. He's pretty much a protective servicer of sorts. Delorier. Nick Delorier has got to come out of the lineup, man. He does. I'm sorry because he just, he does not drive possession. He's not, I think of guys that have kind of filled that role. Your Curtis Gabriels, your Chris Stewart's of years past. Those guys both could really add an offensive push. And Nick Delorier, when he came to the Minnesota wild was providing that granted that's regular season, but he was adding that. But I think you combine that with it's his first playoff series. He's, yep. he's supposed to be that agitator and, 
any hockey player knows this when you only play five, six, six and a half minutes a night and you're sitting there cold and then you're asked to go hard in the best league in the world for hockey in a playoff contest and asked to give a hard 45 minute shift. It, everyone says, sits on their couch as an armchair GM and says, Oh, I could do this. No, it's hard to get your body back into that motion for 45 seconds and go hard. I would almost argue you take out Jost, you, you keep Delorier, but you get Bukestad in because I think you're right about Delorier. You know, he's he was supposed to be sort of that physical presence too. When St. Louis, we saw them start to run around a little bit in game three, even though they speak about not being able to hit. I mean, they were worse than Mike Dumbo was last night. So, yeah. um, you know, th- like you said, what's, what's the contribution there. Right. So with Joe's, yeah, nothing against him personally, right. He's a great hockey player. He's in the show yeah. for a reason, but he's not providing you anything to me that would yeah. say I've, get him I've, the lineup. I've actually liked the way he's played. He had a couple shots last game. I think he he's he's been the only guy in that line that I think has had possession through the neutral zone, though. That's the one thing is he's had a That's couple true. of zone entries that have been all right to me. Um, but like you said, I just I don't think the fourth line the, has had enough of a sample size, unfortunately, to kind of really determine one way or the other. And the the other part of that though is that what has what would you like as you mentioned what would you take away because the green exactly. line's been so good uh i would even argue kevin fiala has been not great this series um, so he's actually our next question and um i'm excited for this one i know i kind of got into people uh in twitter about this so why don't we open this up because sure. i've been, I've been well, this let's one. open up let's open up the door so question question is uh why do you think kevin fiala has uh, reverted back to a melancholy version of himself um, and then someone else had commented. One thing for sure is Matt Boldy is making rookie errors and losing puck battles. Something we alluded to oh, going into this you series. Don't say. He is a rookie. Yeah, and playing uh, playing giveaways sure does not help Kevin Fiala either. So the other point that was brought up by Michael Russo and others, and I love Michael Russo, but I kind of didn't understand the tweet of you know 14 pims now for Kevin Fiala. I want to throw this out there, and I said this on Twitter the other day. Eight of those come over half of them have come from the two uh, double minor high sticks that he's had say what you want about them. They were what they were right. Shit, shit luck. Right. Okay. Next penalty they took was at the tail end of the blues game, that cross check in the corner, which I thought was a pretty weak call in my opinion, essentially pushing in. I mean, no reason for it, but I, whatever. Okay. The other one game, number one, coincidental minor at the end of a period four on four. It's a nothing penalty. Nothing comes out of it. Game number two's penalty was a hooking minor with three and a half minutes left in a 62 hockey game. Kevin Fiala was dash two in game number one. Doesn't have a point since, but he's been even since game two and beyond. He's had a multitude of shots um, in, in his last, whatever it's been since game two, game three, four, uh, two, three, and four, excuse me. He's still driving possession to me. He's still getting opportunities. He's definitely snake bit. He's definitely frustrated. He's definitely taken a couple penalties that unfortunately have not gone his way. I'm not panicked yet, Nick. I'm really not. What I'm panicked about is that Freddie Goudreau and Matt Boldy have not done anything to alleviate that load a little bit for him because for all intents and purposes, Kevin Fiala is not the player that we saw at the end of the regular season right now. We know that. But I also... For lack of a better term, he's been working his nuts off, man. He's definitely put in the effort to try to engage in corner battles. He's driving to the net. He's carrying pucks into the zone on zone entries. He's doing all of these things that you're supposed to do when you're not scoring, which is generate offense and create chances. They haven't been the great days that we've been accustomed to in Kevin Fiala's tear at the end of the regular season. Does he have to wake up at some point in the series for the Wild to probably advance in this one? Absolutely. I'm still not at that point where 
I'm terrified yet. Now, if he's cold or if he's garbage in game five, then definitely I'm jumping in that train. But I still think he hasn't been a liability yet. Do we need him to be more than just not a liability? Absolutely. But I think the effort is there. I think the process is there for Kevin Fiala. And I think he's frustrated. I'd be frustrated too in that situation. So let's let's compare this a little bit because we have a great comparison to last year in Karol Kaprizov. Yeah. Um, who, as we know, and this goes to Matt Boldy a little bit too, right? The playoffs are a different animal. They just are. And if you're the St. Louis Blues, don't sit there and tell me that in their board me then and go, hmm, let's come feel a guy. Hmm. Don't have to pay too much attention to him. He wasn't like one of the leading scorers in like a stretch in March at all in the yeah. National Hockey League. So there's a couple of things at play here, right? There is the playoffs are more intense. The Blues are a physical team. They are usually pretty well structured defensively, even despite the injuries that are on their back and the forward group, especially with Ron O'Reilly to name a couple. Uh, you know, they're good defensively. They can be. Um, with Fiala, Boldy, Goudreau, Again, you know, and this is the part in hockey that I think a lot of fans disregard sometimes, right? Is we can pick one guy out of a out of a line and we can say that person's not, but it's a domino effect. Yeah. If one person isn't doing anything, the whole line's affected. Now, if Matt Boldy, yes, he's a rookie and he's definitely learning right now what Stanley Cup playoff hockey is like. If Freddie Goudreau has been there with Pittsburgh, he knows this. Um, yeah. But I think we know who Freddie, Freddie Goudreau is. He's not a game breaker. He's a solid center. He's very defense, uh, defensively responsible. Um, he can help drive possession in the offensive zone if he's the second guy in the puck. He's, I don't think he's a great carrier of possession into the zone. Um, but for Kevin Fiala, too, I, part of... The risk reward with Fiala is he can be a bit of a guy that wants to put the team on his back. And sometimes he doesn't make those decisions at the right time either. So we talk about turnovers in the offensive zone. Um, I think the point Russo was trying to make Noah was if you're not scoring it. Yes. It, it maybe the tweet wasn't worded very well that if you're struggling, you can't be taking penalties and granted with the double minors and stuff, there's some luck in that involved too. But you also are putting the team a little bit out of sync. And does this affect the fourth line conversation? Yes, you can't put your fourth line if you're constantly killing penalties. I think the Wild have been a little bit snake bit to be on the PK too much. Um, I think they've done actually a pretty good job on the PK, but yeah. you're playing with fire with St. Louis. So I think there's a bigger picture element to this. I don't put it on one player in particular, but part of the depth conversation, because we haven't heard and talked about <laughs> it on this show in the last couple of months, is this line with uh, Goudreau, Fiala, and for Boldy is going to be important for if they yes. even if they can get past St. Louis, it's going to be even more important in future rounds. So you're right. They you, have to figure it out or else. You, you know, the thing is, though, good players and good lines that are produced like that in the regular season, sometimes, uh, for better or for worse, the team needs to pick them up. They need to get through round one, and then that line is the line that wakes up when other lines go cold. That's the that's the beauty of a deep playoff run is you have key contributors at different times who kind of find that element. I want to point something out here, too, when I was talking about driving possession. I did forget, by the way, that Kevin Fiala did have a point in the loss um, in game number um, four, so uh, I apologize for that, but for example, Joel Ersenek, uh has, uh, yeah, an absolute beast for sure. Um, he has 14 shots on that in this series. Kevin Fiala has 11. Okay. So that I, 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 I point that out because their ice time is very comparable. Their shift numbers are very comparable. They're both good PK guys. Kevin Fiala has really grown defensively in his game this season, by the way. I've been very impressed with his uh, um, deployment uh, throughout the season. 
to me, he's he's doing the right things. And I think he's really trying to, like you mentioned, with Freddie Goudreau and Matt Boldy being his first playoff action at the NHL level, kind of trying to pull those guys along. And for whatever reason, you're not getting a bounce for Kevin Fiala. You're not getting the Freddie Goudreau in the slot who somehow slips free and just, you know, gets a greasy one in front of the net. Matt Boldy, of course, scored, you know, the other day. But other than that, has kind of been non-existent in this playoffs besides a couple of physical hits uh, when he is engaged. Uh, so, for me, I, I think it is kind of going down to a whole whole unit type thing. Maybe Dean Evison, uh, dare I say it, maybe he feels like he wants to shuffle that unit up a little bit. Maybe Nick Bukestad maybe gets a look with one of those guys and Matt Boley drops down to some limited minutes. I'm not saying that that's the answer. I'm not saying I have a crystal ball. But I think maybe there is some sort of offensive infusion that needs to maybe happen to maybe jumpstart one of these guys a little bit. But I, uh, my, my, my main point being, I don't think Kevin Fiala has been this woe is me liability for the wild yet. He continues to obviously hurt them. If he can't find a bounce, if he continues to be snake bit and similar and to what we saw with at least two. He's yeah. Gonna, right. Yeah. Can, similar to what we saw with Kuo Kaprizov, who didn't really open up until about game six or seven of last year's series against Vegas. And then it was too little too late. Um, a couple of goals in garbage time at the end of game seven there. So um, yeah. Uh, am I, Am I not thrilled with Kevin Fiala right now? I think that's fair to say, but I'm not concerned. I'm not, oh, this guy is not a player for performer. Oh, this guy can't show up. Let's not forget in that play-in series a couple of years ago against the Vancouver Canucks, Kevin Fiala almost single-handedly carried them through that series. Don't say that Correct. this guy isn't a playoff performer. Sometimes when you're on a torrid pace, especially at the tail end of the regular season and, everyone, and, and the numbers are looking good, it's easy to compare that to a playoff matchup and say, oh, this guy just doesn't have what it takes. What's going on with Kevin Fiala? Sometimes as a player, like I talked about, you have 11 shots on goal, four of them go in and you get the bounces. You have 11 shots on goal, you take – whatever it is, six or seven penalties and you go dash two in game number one. Sometimes that just happens in hockey where you can have good stats making up for bad games and you can have bad stats really bring down a player that maybe hasn't been totally terrible as of yet. So Kevin Fiala definitely needs to produce a little bit. I'm not concerned yet. Game five, I think will be a little bit more tell all, but definitely if he can wake up for the series, the Minnesota Wild should be in really good shape. I think it's fair to say, Nick final question. Um, here for this kind of an interesting one. Uh, why does the NHL keep pushing the Wild Blues games back to 8.30? Games 1 through 3 were all at 8.30 Central Time. It's, easy. it's called revenue. <laughs> yeah. are, the Cal- are the California ratings really that important? A staggered yes. Start, <laughs> staggered starts, they understand, but why not move the Leafs-Lightning games back to 8.30? Uh, because the Leafs are what's... in the East. Yeah. They're if you the... just read your own question, your answer is already yeah, that would, planted, whatever. That would be 9.30 uh Eastern time would be the start time for that, which would be very late. And he um, wants, and whoever wrote this is complaining about California's ratings, about the own team's hometown's ratings. Come on, people. Yeah, especially why would you not want Toronto, Tampa Bay prime time and smack dab at six six thirty at especially night? Especially with the Toronto market. Yeah, come on. There's your come answer. Um, but yeah, Nick, any parting thoughts before we head on to our extra eye sessions? Is there anything you wanted to add about this series as we head to Game Five? The interesting thing is. Uh, by the time we have our next show, we're going to have the answer for the outcome of uh, this round one. Yeah, uh, I think if you're Minnesota, must win game five um, for sure. Um, obviously, now it's a best of three. Um, we talked about it before the show, Noah. Uh, they've been very, very good at home. Uh, they can't sleep that as a laurel because that won't carry you through. Um, but you want to be able to have confidence going into St. Louis for game six um, that um, – 
if all else fails, you at least have a safety net at home for game seven. Yeah. That is the home ice advantage, but you know, which, you can, which, which they've essentially reestablished. Cause we talked about, or, or a lot of people talked about when they dropped game one, they had to find one on the road. They did that. Both teams did, did both teams did their job on the road so far in this series. Correct. So you have to hold, you know, have to hold serve at home. Um, I think that, you know, for, for, for me, the Minnesota wild, uh, you got to tighten up a little bit in the neutral zone. I think you've got to contest more pucks at the defensive blue line. Um, just because again, they, they I, I thought that they had a little bit too much possession carry ins last game. I really thought that they, they went to school a little bit. They were, they're making some pretty good, smart um, plays with speed and then dropping things off and backing Minnesota's really good speed defensive core back a bit. So, you know, Ford's got to be better about also trying to pressure against the wall there too, really trying to contest those pucks, force them to get it deep because we've seen with Spurge and Brodeen, especially Middleton, have been really good at winning, retrieving pucks behind the net and then making quick transitions forward. Um, and it, of course, with Mark Andre Fleury behind, he can also play the puck, although I get really nervous when he does it. Yeah, um, yeah he, he can do it, right? So at, at the end of it, I think they're going to be okay, as you mentioned. Uh, again, try to stay out of the penalty box if you can get a power play goal for God's sakes, that would even be more of a help. So <laughs> they've had plenty of chances. We'll put it to you that way. And if they can find a way to get one to click um, that confidence can also build uh, for the next couple of games. Hopefully one more game after that, if you can win it in six, that'd be even better. Cause um, I don't see how Nashville can stop. I think they're going to get swept by Colorado. Yeah. I just don't see it. They're just completely outmatched. And so if you can get a little bit of rest uh, before the start of round two, if you can finish it off, that would be um, helpful, especially as Dean Evanson talked about trying to get fresh legs into it. Um, it's not that they're banged up, but it's, it's, it's a grind. These series are a grind. And anytime you can get fresh legs to get some guys a rest is always helpful. Key for me is limiting the neutral zone chances so that when the dump-ins are forced in the Minnesota Wild zone, the defensemen have that extra second or two for puck pickups. I think when the Wild have been really hampered, it's when their defensemen have been under duress and feel like they don't have an outlet or enough time to make a composed play when the puck is being floated into their corner. Because as a defenseman in the playoffs, you're going to play hard, heavy minutes. You're going to have four checkers on your ass the entire game. And I think that that's important to try to make sure that you can buy your defenseman an extra second or two by disrupting the dump-ins or disrupting the forecheck coming in to give those defensemen a chance. Because I think especially that, you know, the third pairings, you know, your Kulikovs, your Merrill, even Alex Golagoski at this point, sometimes are really struggling with those puck pickups, especially maybe playing potentially more limited minutes in certain games, uh, really trying to find that first pass mentality that unfortunately – the one guy they could they could use in that situation in that role would be a guy like Ryan Suter. So you got to find a guy that can maybe kind of bridge that gap and be that guy that can snap a first pass up uh, with poise and, and finesse in a playoff game like that. In my personal opinion, so other than that, what an exciting hockey we have! Hopefully, the games are a little yeah. bit tighter uh, coming through into the last three games. I think that if anything, uh, obviously a wild blowout win would be very nice, but I think if it's not going to be that uh, exciting games to the finish, they're not great for the heart, but they're great for the soul uh, looking back on it uh, in a couple months afterwards. So uh, that will do it for the main portion of the show here for episode 110. We will head on to the extra ice session where we talk all things St. Cloud state men's and women's hockey. Extra ice session here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. Nick Maxson joining myself, Noah Grant. Episode 110 here at the Warming House Den. Nick, St. Cloud State hockey time. A little more college hockey infusion here into our episodes after it's been all NHL. Uh, excited to talk about this. Um, 
Who, what do you want to start with? You want to start with women's hockey? You want to start with men's hockey? Up to let's you. Let's go with women's. All right, let's start with women's hockey. I'm into that. Uh, so women's hockey, as we mentioned, our, our very good friend of the show, wishing him the best of luck, Steve McDonald, unfortunately was not renewed of the head coaching position. And uh, we have our finalists now for this yes. upcoming position for the season. Former uh, Wisconsin Badgers player and, of course, assistant coach uh, Molly Ingstrom for former UW Stevens Point and North Dakota coach Brian Idelski. Idelski? Did I say Idalski? I think. Uh, And UW Eau Claire coach Eric Strand Strand. are the finalists for the head coach job for the women at St. Cloud State. Nick, uh, this tweet came out about two days ago. It's kind of when the news kind of started to break here. Uh, Molly, of course, we know very well. The other two, not as well. Uh, But you look at these names, you look at the pedigree. You know, are there particular uh, thoughts that you have in terms of this? Do they stay internal or do they kind of look look out to the wings a little bit? You know, this is always the question for the organization that I think is tough, right? Um, because, you know, both Molly and Janelle Sergey, the assistants, they both have Olympic pedigree. They both, uh, you know, as we've talked to multiple players, uh, both past and present, about how uh, Molly Engstrom coaches and just how much they learn from them, right? So um, it's a tough call. You know, you, you kind of wonder at the collegiate level to know how much of an influence that the students have on these decisions, if any at all. Um, yeah, I would think that Molly comes with, you know, some high praise from the current, uh, current core, um, you know, but does a guy like Adelski who has been not only Olympic pedigree recently, but also has a lot of success in his coaching career as well uh, in terms of, you know, having sort of that winning attitude and how much does that weigh in? So I'm not sure if this is a question of internal versus external, but, you know, for this, you know, for this squad that we have piped for the last couple of years and has unfortunately for lack of better terms, maybe underperformed a little bit uh, and has not taken, I think the the size of steps we would hope that they would. This is a big hire. This is a big transition because if there's one thing we can say about Steve McDonald's regime and whether it was him or maybe it was Molly or Janelle, they started to get some pretty good recruits in. the recruiting classes have been better. Um, just the product on the ice was not, quite as where we want it to be right that the wins and losses weren't weren't there so uh, to me i think adelsi comes in with a pretty good edge here just because of his head coaching success also at the division one level in usa hockey type tenure yeah. i would think molly's right there with him um eric strand who again uw will claire i believe yeah um, his, division his, three his pedigree is really good really good as yeah. well so um this is tough. You know, all, mm. all three of these people um, I could see behind the bench uh, yeah. question is, you know, what separates them? And obviously we know Molly pretty well. I don't know the other two particularly very well, obviously on a personal level. Um, the question is, you know, what are they going to try to convince, you know, Heather Weems or who else in terms of why they're the right person for the job and how they can get this program over the hump per se, because I think there's a lot of great pieces there. I think they've got, you know, some really solid people and athletes there. And the question is, you know, what sort of changes are needed to, to make that happen and what's their game plan. So, um, again, I think the, the move that was unfortunately necessary was, was made. And again, we were never one that, you know, celebrates somebody losing their job. That's for sure. Um, again, Steve McDonald was a, a good friend of ours here in the podcast. We should, well, it just unfortunately didn't pan out for him. And unfortunately for, for St. Cloud, you have to sometimes make tough decisions, moving in a new direction and um, have to see how this goes. Uh, no, I'm curious if there's any one of these candidates that sticks out for you. And I'm more curious, not if it's external or internal, but 
more of this because we, we've seen how, you know, with Brent Larson coming in from a winning culture and a winning pedigree with UMD, right? And how he's carried that here to St. Cloud on the men's side. Uh, if you're Heather Weems, what are you looking for in a coaching candidate with a program that, as we talked about, has had its, its struggles? What are you looking for to try to have a coach come in and try to rectify that? You know, we kind of alluded to a little bit of it about what Nick Oliver is going to have to do when he heads to the Fargo Force. And I really think that uh, is, from what we've seen on the women's side, uh, you know, just making sure that you can kind of manage those emotions of the game, that playing field over a 60 minute game over two games every weekend. And the question is, who do you think is going to be a voice in that locker room that all of those players are going to buy into the most? Pedigree is pedigree. Uh, Mike Yo had pedigree. Did players listen to Mike Yo? Ask yourself that question, you know, and that's the thing. So, you know, who do you think has a really good voice in that locker room? So like you mentioned, as we know, Molly very well, the thing about Molly, and again, Molly kind of reminds me a little bit of Nick Oliver and that she's very attentive to detail, but she's kind of a quieter person and really uh, is really focused on those finer minutia of the game, so to speak. Could she translate that into a head coaching role and be that voice? Like, like we also talked about, though, we're not around the team day in and day out at every single practice. So maybe she does have more of a voice when it comes to the team uh, and talking on the bench as opposed to obviously relating to us as media. On the other side, like you mentioned, uh, with Brian, he brings a great pedigree, obviously being at the University of North Dakota, a really good uh, set of successful seasons there and has been with the Chinese women's national hockey team for the past couple of years, too. So there's in terms of someone who has the best pedigree on paper. Do you think that being, you know, in another country like China and being able to kind of relate to some of those players uh, internationally is going to be a very good bridge and a very good gap as far as trying to be able to relate to the to the players who are coming in internationally and infusing that with the players who, of course, are coming in from Canada or coming in from the Midwest and coming from the States and being able to get all those players from different backgrounds to buy in because of the understanding of his diversity in the game of hockey to me. I think I'm someone who looks at recent success in terms of the level that they're at and does it translate. I really like what Eric Strand brings to the table. I think all three of these candidates are very good. The thing with Eric Strand, a couple of really strong winning seasons for Wisconsin Eau Claire. Um, I mean, you look at the records, obviously a different level for the WIAC, but I, uh, you know, a nine, three and one record in one of the seasons, um, finishing uh the season 22 4 and 2 overall a couple years ago winning the first o'brien cup in program history back in 2018 um setting multiple records i mean think about this in the ncaa for him uh the blue golds which is the name of the team setting season goalie save records a 972 save percentage over the course of a season goals against average of 0.71 and a goalie winning percentage of a 944 i don't care what level you're at that's dominance that's just dominance, and that talks about a program that one is very good and has very good buy-in. Of course, a former USHL player in Des Moines, I think he's someone that regionally has the best connection in terms of recent success, granted at a different level, but recent success and knows the proximity of the Midwest area um, as well. I really like him as a candidate. Now, what is he like in the locker room? I've got no idea. All three of them would be fantastic picks, and I think St. Cloud is in a very good spot to be able to pick one of these three. But for me, I think the thing that you look at the most is recent experience. You can't argue with those results at that level. I don't know what Brian uh, Idalski's numbers are for the Chinese national team. I don't have those up in front of me. Molly, of course, knows this team the best internally and knows the players that are there internally. 
But I think the thing is, and this is not to throw Molly under the bus because I think she's fantastic. She'd be great in this role. I think the fact that knowing that you have Molly there anyway, maybe could create a really, you know, maybe one, two punch that could be really great with one of these other two additions that would come in and be a really nice asset, but all three of them, very good choices. Just one small comment to add to this uh, for Adelski too. Uh, you know, as you, uh, we've mentioned this before, uh, Noah, but uh, the Chinese women's national team was, as I mentioned before, two summers ago was actually here basically in the Midwest touring and essentially skating. They skated the U of M, they skated in St. Cloud, uh, yeah. Wisconsin. Um, I think there's something to be said about Adelski. I mean, hockey in china is not a big sport yeah. um he was he was part of the olympic team i should as you're yeah. alluding to yes yeah so. but my point is you know part of it at the college level is still being able to teach the game and be able mm -hmm. to say the whys and you know this is where you have to be in film breakdown and been able to still develop the iq side of hockey which i think is so important you know we talk about skilled players like say connor mcdavid and leon dry and what we oftentimes overlook as casual fans is how fast their brain is going. If you think Connor McDavid is fast on his feet, I would love to see the algorithm calculations his brain is doing as he's going through the ice at 35 miles an hour. It's absolutely insane. So to teach um, not only a non-traditional market per se, right, of hockey, but to have them find success and, again, to be able to <clears throat> get them to buy into. I think there's some pedigree in that, too. So and as you mentioned, all three of these of these folks, um, as you mentioned, St. Cloud's lucky to have this treasure yes. trove to pick from, really. Yeah. Um, so and for those who want a quick reaction, right, because we're all about that nowadays, um, <laughs> you know, give it time. You have to, uh, mm -hmm. you know, give it a year or two. Maybe you see some immediate results with maybe just uh, a stylistic change. And again, we won't know until a head coach has been selected um, what he or she will want to do as far as, you know, is there going to be any way different way they play the game? Um, you know, their coaching style, this and that. Uh, obviously, recruiting is also a question mark too, because we've seen on the men's side, you know, when you commit to a program at some point, you're also committing to your coaching staff. So do we see some transitions because of that? Maybe, yeah. maybe not. I don't know, but. Again, St. Cloud is poised to make hopefully another stride forward with their women's hockey program. And again, three great candidates that can help them lead them there. And uh, it's certainly going to be a tough decision for Heather Williams Athletics Department. But uh, either way, a good problem to have here for the women's hockey program. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, I think it it might feel like we haven't touched on Molly quite a bit. I want to point that out. But I think it's just because we know Molly as a known commodity. We know what she brings to the table. And I think really highlighting the other two candidates here, because I don't think a lot of people do know about that or know a lot about those candidates, too. And like you mentioned, all three of them, uh, a very good opportunity for St. Cloud to really try and continue to get better. Who is going to be the voice of St. Cloud State Women's Hockey? We're hopefully going to have our answer. Well, we know we're going to have our answer in a couple months' time for sure, so definitely stay tuned. We are excited to await the result and see who is going to put that next stamp on uh, this women's program in the WCHA. Men's hockey side, uh, Nick Oliver leaves. Congratulations to Nick. If you missed his story, that's at the beginning of the Sunrise View News and Notes. Um, Huskies Illustrated Weekly Roundup, I should say. Um, but that leaves a vacant assistant coaching position in the men's hockey world. And the question is, uh, who's going to fill that role here, Nick? Um, I know some people have kind of thrown out Mark Parrish, Matt Cullen, um, you know, guys that, you know, had funny, had good NHL careers. I think, 
if you were going to, if you're going to throw it out to them, not Mark Parrish, I'll tell you that. Yeah. I think Matt Cullen is probably the guy that uh, maybe fits that mold or Mark Parrish just kind of seems, he he seems kind of destined for media and kind of what he does. I think Matt Cullen is maybe more, you know, where he has his kids camps. He has all of these foundational things of the youth game that he's tried to grow. I think he does have more of that coaching mentality within him. The question is, but does does he want to coach? Yeah. Does it make sense for him to go to St. Cloud when he's rooted so well in Moorhead? The sources that I say that know him personally, he actually has a cabin. Um, about an hour and a half away from where I live. I think he's pretty comfortable with his life and just kind of comfortable right. being with his kids. So um, I think that might be kind of a difficult um, catch. Nick, I don't I'm see what... Mac, Mac Collin either. I don't. I'm curious to see if you have a name in mind. I've got a weird one. It's the only one sure. I've got. And you're going to look at me and you're probably going to say, what are you talking about? Because usually you don't just randomly get coaching gigs at the Division One level out of nowhere, right? No, you don't. The body that I'm going to throw out here... <clears throat> Clark Custer. I think it makes sense. Clark Custer. And the reason I say that he hasn't played since not, not this past season, but the season before with the, with Pensacola and the SPHL uh, psychology major uh, masters in educational administration. Um, of course, his bio from back in the day says hobbies include golf, which is typical of hockey player and backgammon. You got to be smart to play backgammon. I want to throw that out there. He's a guy that I think, I don't know how much of a locker room guy he was, but he's a guy that I think intellectually maybe fills that void a little bit in terms of what he sees, knowing how to bridge that gap between how to relate with the players. And also he knows the game of hockey really well too. I think that psychology and educational background would serve him really well in a potential role like this. Now, I don't know what he's up to. I haven't checked out. Isn't he assistant coach for someone right now? Yeah, I can't can't remember. Isn't it with the Norseman? So, um, I... If it would have been the Norseman, I feel very bad for missing that because um, I feel you like I should check that. I feel like that's where he's been. Yeah. And that that might have been, too. I, I, I just I looked him up very quickly and he was the first kind of name that kind of popped into my head as someone who was recently with the team that would would have that um, that maybe would pursue that sort of thing. Because I think other guys, you know, your Tyler Anderson's, your Will Hammers guys that have come out, um, they're very smart, but they're off doing their own thing as far as health administration, as far as uh, medicine and that sort of thing. So I, they're kind of ingrained in that as well. But um yeah, Clark Custer was a name for me that I think really stuck out. That yeah, just he's finishes... with St. Cloud as assistant coach. Okay, well there you go. It, for whatever reason, their their form didn't show up when we had it on our sheet. But that's that's a guy that uh, even better has some coaching experience now under his belt. He's a guy that I would look very close to home that I think would be a really good thought. And you talk about locker room. He was an assistant captain his senior year as yes. well. Mind you, Custer was. You talk about locker room guy. How good of a locker room guy was this? He was, you know he was basically a third pairing defenseman. So he wasn't what we call by maybe hockey standards, an impact player um, in terms of ice time offense, that kind of thing. Right. But if you are in a captaincy role, whether he was an assistant captain um, and you're sort of in that sort of, you know, tier of player. Right. I think that says actually a lot of volume as to what impact you Mm -hmm. do have in the locker room, because I mean, certainly for, you know, it wasn't like a Sam Hench is where he's out there and you're expecting him to, to score, or, you know, make an impact on the game. You certainly are as a defenseman for sure on the other end, but you're not looked at as like a game breaker. Right. And I think yeah. with uh, obviously having some assistant coaching under his belt now, uh, again, it's, it's no different than any other person we talk about as far as coaching candidates is, you know, he's got coaching now. Now is, 
there are other ventures in his life that he's pursuing, right? You know, is this sort of a side gig for him with the Norsemen? Is he looking to stay in hockey full time? I think it does make sense if he wants that. The other part of it is, does St. Cloud, do they promote RJ Ango, who's their current video coach? Does he yeah. jump up to the bench for an assistant coach? Um, or do he, does he stay as the video coach and then Clark Custer, if he's interested and gets hired, does he go behind the bench? There's a lot of moving parts to this, right? So mm. I don't know. Um, he's a name. I don't really have another name specifically, Noah, but I, I, you, I did. You know, it's, 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 it's interesting. Um, how I ended up picking him. First of all, I'm very chapped that I didn't know that he was part of the Norseman because I've seen the lineup card. I mean, the Norseman have played the Taros <laughs> plenty of times and kicked the absolute crap out of them this year. The Norsemen are a very good hockey team this very season. Um, so I'm kind of rattled. I didn't know that. So Clark, I am so sorry, man. Um, but I'm not sorry about picking you, even though I didn't know what you were up to because just, just with his pedigree intellectually, I think he's someone that, especially on the back end, you talked about him being, you know, that, that third pairing, maybe seventh defenseman kind of had a tumultuous ride at the division one level. That's an important piece for an assistant coach to be able to relate to some players who maybe aren't getting ice time they're looking for, maybe didn't have the development path. They thought of being able to kind of bridge that gap, especially uh, on, um, you know, the back end or whatever it may be uh, as an assistant coach and being that voice or knowing what you're trying to trying to do as you learn the scouting now being at the NHL level, those are all pieces that Clark can really bring to this table. Um, I think he's a name that definitely should be thrown out there. And I, you know, I'm glad you concur even before we realized that he is actually coaching and actually doing, you know, hopefully what he loves. Because, well, I realized that you didn't. So yeah, <laughs> don't, just, don't bring me in that gap. Come on. I, I'm, I'm here for comedic relief. Have you seen my face? I have a face for radio. So don't steal my um, line. <laughs> don't do we're, that. We're like two pieces. That's trademarked. Yeah, that's fair. So, <laughs> uh, but well, you the know, only thing we have that's trademarked. Right. Uh, but to that point too, you know, and Clark Custer was also part of the national championship team run. So when you talk yeah. about conveying to, players who you he had to work so hard for everything he, every opportunity that he earned right so and whether it is say a guy like adam ingram or someone's got a high pedigree right that comes in you know transitioning from juniors to college it, it's a big step right and sometimes yeah. you're not getting the balances you're you're not performing the way maybe you you are used to right at that level i mean look at jack pierre the first couple of weeks it was tough I'm starting to figure out a little bit towards the end. Yeah, the playoffs looked a little bit shaky, but that's again playoffs are a different beast, right? He's a fresh, he's a true freshman. He's an 18 year old, right? Going um, now 19, I believe. So going into an NC, you know, double A playoff role, that's you know, that's some big, big roles to fill. Uh, he's going to be looked on next year to actually play a pretty, I think, pretty heavy minutes role. Um, again, with the emergence of holy cow, Josh Lidke. I mean, um, you, you talk about a story that Clark Custer could really sort of almost, you know, compared to, I mean, Josh Lickett coming in wasn't really a regular starter um, beginning of the season. Then Lickie just sort of outworked everybody else. I mean, what was a tray ball, uh, sometimes bushy that was sort of rotating in and out. And yeah. for Luke Jaycox, who came back as a covert year, he really sort of saw a very diminished role in terms of his um, on ice participation. And that's just the way that sports works sometimes. So um, I think he would be a great fit if he ever threw his hat in the ring. That's the, that's the question, right? Is he interested? Um, yeah. And more so does St. Cloud have other names that they want, or they have conversations with, right. Or um, the thing is, Carl Custer knows the NCHC. I know what this conference, a lot of the coaching pedigree, you want to know this conference, at least have been either a part of it as a player or as a coach. Um, I think that's important because this is the best and most competitive uh, conference in all college hockey where you have to be at your best night in and night out. So Clark brings that because he was a part of it. Um, so we'll see. Um, either way, um, I think it's important to touch on 
um, Nick Oliver, what he brought to the team. Um, you know, we talked about a little bit earlier too, Noah, but um, what they're losing in Nick Oliver is yeah. an infectious personality. Um, uh, and again, young guy that's relatable. I think again, you can kind of see replacing there with Clark. Um, again, um, again, a, a, a high profile player. Uh, again, played in some high profile games. Again, Frozen Four appearance. Um, you know, back in 2013. Uh, so he, there, there's some similarities there. Um, question is, does Brett Larson have now with? a completely renewed staff essentially now um what is he looking for something different who knows um i th- we'll just have to wait and see the question is uh whoever's the new assistant coach can they rock the earbuds as well as nick oliver did on the bench that's the real question uh, yeah yeah and I don't know. and and not to be that guy but nick's a total man rocket so i mean what are you gonna do about that good luck whoever tries to fill that void um but if anyone's looking, uh, Brett Larson, uh, Nick, and I are available in case uh, you want us to draw some X's and O's on a board. Um, I've done some video coaching before. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I actually, I actually got paid for video coaching in the ACHA one. So technically, am I a coach? Do I have pedigree? What does that mean? Um, speaking of guys that have pedigree that have earned it this season, though, our last bit of uh, topics: Saint Cloud State Men's Hockey. They added another player to their roster. How about yes. this one? Top uh, OJHL goaltender James Gray, who oddly enough has the exact same name as one of the uh, head, what your engineers, the lead radio guy. Yeah. Um, for KBSC radio, who does, uh, is the student run broadcast for the men's hockey games where I got my start. Um, and now you hear me on the podcast oh, wave. So, um, that's James Gray at KBSC. Uh, you can definitely email him and tell him, uh, how much of a terrible impact he had on me and your podcasting listening skills. Um, but goaltender James Gray committing to St. Cloud State, uh, six foot two, one hundred eighty-seven pounds. Uh, the North York Rangers in the OJHL, um, 38, 13 and two record overall for the team this season. Second place uh, in the South Division that they were in, and he himself finishing with a twenty-five, nine and two record, three shutouts on the season, a nine-three-one save percentage, and a league best one-nine-six goals against average. So, I uh, did not compete the previous season due to COVID. Was coming off an injury late in the season. The year before and was actually working uh, with Pittsburgh Penguins net mining coach Andy Chiodo Chiconi. Yeah, yeah, during during that day, during that time. So um someone tweeted this and they their tweet was they made me laugh. Their tweet was LOL OJHL. What's that? Well, oh, I knew who that was. Like, come on, dude. Uh, how about Just the because S- you're a Maverick how- fan, I don't care. Yeah, and how about the SJHL? How about the AJ? How about uh, it's called Junior A hockey in Canada, and we've seen a couple players from Huskies hockey that have come and filled that void. Uh, most recent being, I believe, Tyler Anderson is our Tyler most Anderson, recent. Tyler Anderson, yes. And um, then um, it's also uh, is not is Ryan Rosborough not in that same? He was, yes, from Ontario. He's an Ontario yeah. kid too. So how about the bigger question though that we may have just been answered because now with transfer Dominic Basie. And yeah. now with uh, James Gray, uh, I think the question has been answered of what might happen with the other goaltender that was slated to come in. Is he doing another year of juniors? Yeah. Uh, interesting conversation. Of course, like you mentioned, uh, um, Jackson Castro is the other body that's there for the St. Cloud State up at the division one level. So maybe Sioux Falls is looking to give him another look and the Huskies want to give him one more year to see, to see what he can do as well. Um, yeah, it's an interesting conversation and actually something that I hadn't really thought of a ton. I thought of it a little bit, little bit, but <laughs> you know, I, I think, don't I think so, honestly. I mean, but they're but different leagues. See, see, the thing is, when you post numbers like that uh, in junior A hockey, maybe that's exactly the route that St. Cloud is looking, is they're thinking 
maybe, uh, and I mean this in a nice way, maybe James needs a little bit more development. So they're going to bring him to the division one level. And I say that you're going to, and most fans are going to go, huh? What do you mean by that? Don't tell me that Isaac Posh isn't going to get development at the USHL level. He's surrounded by a lot of good people. The OJHL and junior A is a little bit more hit or miss. Now he worked with Pittsburgh Penguins goaltending coaches. Yes, we talked about that, but maybe bringing him up to the division one level, giving him a look as far as trying to get him bigger, stronger, getting him to develop maybe in that third goaltending role. Then, you know, that Jackson Castor is kind of hitting the end of his career in terms of that sort of thing. Then maybe Isaac Posh is the next body and Dominic Bassey is the stop gap in between those that maybe takes the pipes for the Huskies there. So that might be a route that St. Cloud is kind of thinking in terms of development too, because let's be honest, if it's not, if it's not this year, if it's not next year, for sure the year after is kind of maybe where we're going to start to see the youth goaltending infusion really take shape for this Huskies team. The goaltending position is going to be a lot different than when we had the David Rennick show for the past uh, three and a half, four, four and a half years out of his five-year career as a St. Cloud Husky. So it's a very interesting point. Um, I'm curious since you've asked the question, you have to have an answer, right? I would think Isaac Posh stays in the USHL. I would think so because otherwise, um, why make this move? Right. Right. And I think, (laughs) well, and think of it this way. Um, there's, and I don't, I don't know this for sure, but there's been rumors with Dominic Basie's, uh, shall we say commitment as far as to the game and whether that's, you know, the physical side, I mean, the workouts or the, you know, commitment to whatever is being coached or no, or, or the fact that let's just be honest, he played on a not so great NCHC team. Right. And does that have a factor? Maybe. Um, so, you know, and again, with great goaltending trios, as we had all three of their previous goaltenders on Caster Lamaru and now, uh, David Rennick, uh, two of the three now departed, right. They were all great friends. They were all great teammates they push each other so you want that good chemistry and you you want that comp internal competition what it tells me is st cloud with isaac posh whether it's individual wise and i think there's some room for growth there as well and Mm -hmm. if you have an extra year of juniors why not use it um you want some goaltenders at a similar level of development to push each other right i don't think isaac posh was at their levels uh between either caster or uh to Dominic Basie. So this gives you three solid goaltenders. It gives you a little bit of injury protection, obviously. Um, St. Claude didn't figure that out at all this last year. And let's let's not discount the fact, and I I think we keep kind of running around it a little bit. Guys, Jackson Castor could absolutely turn a corner next year and be the guy. You know, I think, I think we have, you know, um, Dominic Basie kind of, kind of penciled into that slot a little bit tentatively, but, but honestly, Jackson Castor could have a really good camp coming in. The, the coaches know him very well and he could be the guy he could get the start in the season and he could absolutely run with it. He's a good goaltender. I don't say what you want about the Quinnipiac game. He's a good goaltender. He is. He wouldn't be on the roster if he wasn't. And what's, what's, let's take it a step further. Noah, again, goaltenders are creature with any other creatures of habit. And for him, he wasn't getting consistent minutes. He got it essentially in a, what a need need situation. And it was, dare I say, just timing wise. I mean, it's not a great situation for him and to be in, to be thrusted into a, a playoff or conferences. Just, and just do, ask Louis Domingue. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> and, and to that point too, Noah, sometimes people can rise to that opportunity. And like mm-hmm. you said, and it really take hold of the mantle. Um, some, well, don't. well, the question is a uh, big save Dave, Dave Riddick, uh, in, in his first game with Nashville had a very poor start. The team didn't start well around him. And it's like, does Connor Ingram get the shot to shine? If, you know, 
big save Dave post 30 of 32 and the Preds win two to one. You know, those are things that, you know, that's just goal thunning. Right. Just- so, I mean, obviously training camp um, and then obviously the non-conference schedule um, will be very telling for the Huskies. You know, do they rotate goaltenders to see? Do they have a better idea? Maybe at a training camp who is going to be starting? Um, do they now with Nadi? I won't say a true number one because it was David Rennick's net, but maybe because it's more of a question, do they do more of a goaltender rotation now where we have one Friday, maybe one Saturday um, until maybe somebody emerges and takes that mantle. Um, I think the one thing's for certain, Noah, that it's very much anybody's net at this point, which is good for all three. And uh, it'll be a nice competition to see who grabs hold of that job and holds it or maybe not. Yeah, well, as Herb Brooks would say, uh, that's not Jim Craig's net until he wants it. We'll have to find out. Uh, nonetheless, again, again, <laughs> again, yeah. Um, should I should I ruin that story for people who have seen who have seen the the movie no. Miracle? I no. will not. I will not. But look it up if if you want to on your own time. But you mentioned uh, potential minutes and potential scheduling things. We have scheduling things of our own that we want you to know here on the Huskies warming house podcast. As you know, the college hockey season is over. So we're kind of playing it by ear around the NHL squad and also our own personal schedules. I am actually down in Nick Oliver's neck of the woods skating with actually uh, some division one, division three men and women down in Fargo this weekend. So that's going to change our show and what we're going to be doing. So we're going to probably so flex, bro. Well, I'm just, Telling people where I'm going to be. I hopefully I, Nick Oliver should come out with us. That'd be great. Uh, nonetheless, um, regardless of what Nick Oliver is doing, what we're doing is I think we're going to do another Monday night recording coming up on next week and a Tuesday morning release for episode one one one, episode one hundred and eleven here on the Huskies Warming House podcast. So if that changes, we'll let you know. Someone did ask me on Twitter. Um, which is the place to be for all those announcements that are related to our scheduling changes here on the warming house podcast at warming house den on Twitter is usually where we'll see it, where you'll see it. And we try to update you um, as early as we can, but also potentially as close to what the original show time was supposed to be as well too. So we do our best. We try to be flexible. We promise we're not trying to disrupt the schedule of podcasting because we know and value our listeners and know how much you guys like that consistency. And we enjoy having you here on the Huskies warming house podcast. So obviously find us on Twitter as well as Huskies warminghousepodcast.com for nick max and i'm noah grant and episode number 110 is done and we will see you next week and your one timer coming they score so dana rasmussen fires and she scores dana rasmussen for the huskies In for a chance to win it, he scores! Kirill the Thrill is for real! Welcome to the NHL, a game winner! St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.